Today is Biblical Sexuality Sunday. Wow. How about that? Um, some of you may not have known, um, but there's a reason why we're doing this today. And let me just take some time to explain that because we've seen in Canada here now a recent bill passed through and um, it is Bill C-4, which is basically banning outlawing conversion therapy to where now there's some very significant language in there and very ambiguous language that um, is going to make it very hard for a pastor, a counselor, a parent now to ever seek to kind of direct children or direct people out of a lifestyle that is not honoring to God and bringing them into a lifestyle that is honoring to God. And this is a very serious thing and there's been an initiative now put forth for this Sunday to be Biblical Sexuality Sunday where many churches around North America and maybe even beyond North America are taking part in saying we want to be a church that's standing for God's view of sexuality, what the Bible says about these things in light of what is coming in our culture here. And so I'm thankful for churches down the states that are saying this isn't directly affecting us but we want to stand with our Canadian brothers and sisters and churches there that are having to face this kind of new law coming into our country. And so this bill was, was passed without any kind of objection in the House of Commons. And here's what some of the preamble of this bill states. That's kind of the bill, the preamble, but here's breaking it down. This is what it says. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. So if you kind of can see what is being communicated in that statement, basically they're trying to say that what we teach from a biblical basis on sexuality is really nothing more than a myth. And if you want to kind of take that even further, I think they would be very comfortable saying that, that the Bible is basically nothing more than mythology. And sadly, that isn't very far off from the view that some Christians hold to today, even some church leaders, sadly enough, at least when it comes to the beginning of Genesis and the first 11 chapters specifically of Genesis, that many have begun to dismiss as nothing more than allegory, poetry, mythology, that it doesn't communicate a literal view of what God has said, that, that this creation of, of Adam and Eve are just really just kind of a picture of representing all of humanity, that Noah's flood did not certainly really happen. How could that have happened? And there are Christian leaders that are beginning to, to question the legitimacy of what Genesis says. So, my friends, it's to the book of Genesis that we begin here today as we take a look at a right biblical view of sexuality. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Genesis 1, verse 28. We're going to get to this in a minute here in Genesis 1, but please keep in mind that 
this is more than just trying to, to take a political stand or, or, or just having a political position today. This is about a biblical definition that we stand upon as our foundation as a church and as believers today. When we've seen churches in the last decade or, or even longer seemingly afraid to touch on the topics that we're gonna be hitting on today for fear of public criticism, this bill will bring even greater fear to the already trepid to ever speak biblical truth on these issues. And that becomes a real concern and problem because what we're gonna see, and what we've already seen is I think the, the compromise in, in some Christian circles touching on these things to say, well, you know, we don't wanna offend anybody. We don't wanna talk about these things. This is too controversial in light of what we're seeing happening in our culture. Well, now you have a bill coming into play that, that can put people in jail for speaking about these things. How much more are these already compromising churches gonna all the more back off and say, no, that's not anything that I ever wanna deal with now. And people are not gonna be getting a full view of what God says about these things in his word to us. So it's a very big, important, serious thing. Now, last week with our prophecy update, and I hope you all have had a chance to hear that and listen to that. Um, hope you've been encouraged by it. But we talked a little bit about this statement that was sent out to churches last week that are taking part in this initiative, and, and hopefully even beyond those are just taking part in Biblical Sexuality Sunday. But to read a statement that is really just showing their stand and, and uh, desire to uphold what God's word says. Here's what part of that statement said that I read last week. It said this, we recognize that the greatest danger facing the Canadian church is not that we might face criminal prosecution, but rather that we might compromise in our teaching of the word of God or false silent in our proclamation of the gospel. Along with church leaders of Lake Conviction across Canada, we stand before you today to pledge that we are committed to obeying God above all others. And with the Lord's help, we'll continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God without fear or favor. This includes God's life-giving design for human beings made in his image, male and female, with sexual intimacy reserved for the covenantal union of a man and a woman. We will continue to issue the call to repent of all kinds of sin and to believe the gospel, knowing that we all have sinned and that salvation through Jesus is the one true hope for the world. We will continue to love and serve all people in our community without distinction in Jesus' name and we press on in the work of ministry. We will trust our Heavenly Father to guard us and keep us and to work out His greater purposes for our good and for His glory. And so that's what we, yeah, amen. That's what we believe and stand for here in this church. And so today I wanna to talk about three things primarily, God's design, man's distortion, and our distinction. God's design, man's distortion, and our distinction. Now, very clearly, God has revealed his design right from the very beginning. And for that, we go to Genesis 1.28, where I hope you guys are already in and ready to look at. Genesis 1, verse 26, I should say. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, 
in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's design, very clearly right from the very beginning, was two distinct sexes, male and female. And God created them both in his own image. The man was to reflect the beauty and the glory of God. The woman was to reflect the beauty and the glory of God. But there's something so wonderful, a great dynamic that happens as these two come together as only a man and a woman can come together to where they reflect, again, just the greatness of God. And that marriage relationship begins to be a great picture of our union and relationship with Christ. Both Old and New Testaments have used that uh, as often portrayed our relationship with God as a groom and a bride. Genesis goes on to record in more detail the wonderful design of these two sexes. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse 18. Genesis two, verse 18, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And all you ladies said, aha, <laughs> amen. Amen is in trouble when they're alone. Yes, that's what you're saying. I will, I will make him a helper, God says, comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made. That's up here, isn't it? I'm going, my goodness, where's that? <clears throat> okay, just stop. I was like, man, somebody is sleeping there not turning that thing off. Whew. Okay. All right. That was our drummer. Where are you, Wes? Okay. Uh, I have no idea where I was. Verse 21, we'll start there. Uh, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they are both naked, the man and his wife, and, and were not ashamed. So there's a lot that's packed in this verse. Okay, I'm turning this thing off here. I'm gonna move this thing. All right. Is Wes in here somewhere? Okay, I'm gonna throw that. Oh, there we go, thank you. All right, perfect. <laughs> All right, so a lot of things that we see packed into this, into this passage here. We're not gonna break this fully down because we've got a lot we wanna cover here today, but what we're seeing there is that God created Adam very distinctly, and he's there, and he's, he's got all the animals around him, and he's naming all these animals. He's seen them come, you know, uh, in, in twos and pairs, male and female, and he's seeing these two that are very compatible, and Adam's looking around going, Man, this is great. I'm so happy for all you people in these great relationships, one with another. Where's mine, right? He's like, where's my suitable partner here, my comparable partner? And so God sees that 
Adam's alone, there's no comparable helper to him, so he creates Eve and creates Eve very distinctly where they are gonna come together in relationship for the blessing of one another here and for the blessing of God. And God's purpose is that these two should be joined together and become one flesh. See, God has given sex as a wonderful gift, but it's a gift that is clearly to be experienced between a man and a woman, and I need to clarify, in the days we live, a married man and woman, and married to each other. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> they've had a wedding ceremony that they've each done the vows to each other, married to each other, okay. You gotta be clear these days, but. So the purpose, the purpose of marriage we see throughout these passages we looked at already in Genesis 1 and 2 for productivity and fruitfulness to multiply upon the earth. God wants these two to come together in blessing and to continue to perpetuate that blessing of relationships with one another and relationship with God. So it's productivity and fruitfulness. It's for intimacy and unity as they come together and are one flesh. And yes, it is for pleasure. God has designed this to be a blessing for us. It's pleasurable when it's practiced in the way that it has been prescribed to us, and that is according to scripture, between a man and woman in a committed married relationship to each other. Now, when you read through the book of Song of Solomon, I mean, you begin to see very clearly, and uh, we've done a series through uh, Song of Solomon. It, it took like five years, because I was just really enjoying it. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. It wasn't that long. It was, it was four years, but... Um, but what you see is you go through a book like that, and we're thankful for it because we can oftentimes look at, at sex as being something that, oh, we don't talk about that, that's not holy. We don't talk about that. And we think of God as a very prudish God, right? That this is something that we have to be very secretive and hidden about. And, and yes, it's to be reserved between a, a marital covenant, you know, couple, but God has given sex and God's heart that you see throughout that book and throughout the Bible is his heart's towards marriage, sex, and relationships. Yet we know that the enemy has tried hard to defile and discredit God's good and perfect design on these things. Now, even when Jesus was questioned on relationship matters, he went right back to the, to the very beginning to confirm and affirm what God has already laid out for us right in the very beginning. When Jesus is being questioned, what happened? Matthew 19, verse four to six, Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus, when he's confronted these things, didn't say, yeah, I yeah, know that was, that was for back then. But I know that's kind of old fashioned. No, we don't really believe that anymore. I mean, it's been a few thousand years now since God set up that order and design. But now, no, we can really evolve into kind of a new way of thinking. Jesus doesn't do that. Have you not read? Because what God said still stands. It continues on that he's made them male and female, it tells us. He's made them very distinct. God's design is a man and a woman where a man is to be a man and fulfill specific roles for his wife in that marriage relationship and a woman is to be a woman that fulfills specific roles for her husband. It's a wonderful thing. You can see all that laid out in Ephesians chapter five and elsewhere in scripture. And sadly, over the course of time, 
These are things that have diminished. And the blessing God has intended has been robbed from many people because they've gone outside of God's design. Now, I want to clarify something here this morning with you that if you're here today and you're not married, I don't want you to feel like, oh, if you're not married, then you're not, you're not whole, you're not complete. That is not what we're saying at all. Because we know Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that those of you that are married, it's, it's better for you to stay that way. It's all good. There's nothing wrong with singlehood. We, we certainly agree that married life is not the only way to experience the blessings of God. There are blessings that are provided in marriage, no doubt about it. But there's also advantages to singlehood. The key is that we live in Christ and that our identity is wrapped up in Jesus and in not another person or in us thinking we need to be a different person to find joy and contentment. Our identity and our joy is wrapped up in Jesus. And you see, this is kind of a problem that we have been seeing growing with greater intensity in our culture and, and, and especially over the last many years. And that's where we want to look at man's distortion. Man's distortion of God's design. Because God designed something so wonderful. And yet humanity has confused this, blurred the lines of it, and even corrupted it. For centuries, we've never had an issue with seeing biological sex as synonymous with gender. That's never been an issue for us. We've never had a problem 50 years ago filling out a form, asking for our gender and saying, is there only two options? I mean, there should be a little bit more here. Why do I have to be so, so narrow in my... No, we've never had a problem with that. This is something that's been a very recent thing regarding uh, gender, gender identity, all these things. We've never questioned the legitimacy of claiming that there's only two genders, yet now the list of genders continues to grow. Here's just a partial list. I mean... The numbers, you can get a wide variety of numbers over different titles for genders. I've seen lists of 72 up to 100. And so this isn't an exhaustive list, but you see, my goodness, there are so many different identities there. I don't want to keep that up. You can ask me for it later. But listen to what one person said, Jackie Golob, who's an MS who works at a private practice at the Center for Sexual Wellness. And she was quoted in Women's Health magazine, which now I'm really considering having to cancel my subscription after <laughs> reading this, but it, she said this, she's quoted saying, gender is a term that relates to how we feel about ourselves, the way we choose to express our gender through, through makeup, dresses, high heels, athletic shorts, sneakers, and more, she explains. Our society has convinced us that there are just two options for gender identity, male and female, based on biological sex. But in reality, there's more fluidity. It's not just the male-female gender binary. There's a spectrum of gender identity. Most people lie in between the binary with personality traits that relate to gender identity, expression, and biological sex. Gender identity, she says, can change over time and it is not fixed. Just because you identify one way at one point in time does not mean you will always choose that identity or that your identity won't shift and, in, and evolve. So here's the deal. We have a lot of confusion in our society about sexuality that only gets perpetuated by the so-called experts or professionals like this. And as our culture has drifted away 
from scriptures being our authority and foundation, we've seen a gravitation to this distortion of God's design to where you're the, the boss of what you determine for yourself. What you feel now inside must be the driving force to how you live and what you do. And this is just absolutely wrong. Now, it might be easy for some to think that this has been a, a relatively new phenomenon that we face, and, and there are aspects of it that are such as gender titles and things like that, but that's been in the works for a while. But it's easy to think, you know what, like, it's because our culture now has just changed so much. I'm just a product of my environment. If we weren't so inundated with all things sexual and all these things that were being, you know, that are being pushed down, then, then this wouldn't be an issue. Back when God said that, this was never a problem, you see. That's what some people would like to think. But I wanna, I wanna address and show that this is something that has been taking place since the beginning. And yet, despite God's clearly directed design being given, man has chosen simply to rebel and turn away from God's ideal. It's never been a good thing when we think our way is better than God's way. As Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. God says, I have, I have life for you. I've got a perfect plan for you that when you follow me and my word and walk in obedience, that's the life that's gonna be blessed and full of joy. Now we see this distortion very clearly with the way that God deals with those that have walked away from his ideal. And again, I don't share these scriptures I'm going to share to focus on the judgment that's involved, but rather to show that we've been dealing with a world that has sought to corrupt God's design since the beginning. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance. Turn, turn to Genesis chapter 19 if you want. If you're around there, I'll put it up on the, on the screen too. But Genesis 19 verse 4, we see that the, the judgment, the strong judgment that came upon these cities was centered around sexual immorality and, and homosexuality specifically. Genesis chapter 19, verse four to five. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Men asking for the men to be brought out. Jude 7 reiterates this in the New Testament saying as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. This act that was being performed is called strange flesh, going after strange flesh. And this became a commonplace issue, so much so that God had to codify it in the law to show clearly that these actions were not acceptable. It says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Deuteronomy chapter um, um, 22. Uh, oh, I'm trying to find where. It talks about 
um, how a man should not dress in women's clothes. I mean, <laughs> we see in Israel even cross-dressing becoming a thing. And so these are commands that are being sent forth to say, this is not how it should be for those that are seeking to live for God and live in God's ideal, which provides the greatest blessing in our lives. So as you can see, this is a serious offense that God was not playing around with. And notice, there's no allocation for two same-sex people to come together if they truly love one another. There's no allowance for, well, if you choose to remain in a monogamous, committed relationship with one another, then I guess it's okay. That's what a lot of people would love to try to say an excuse today. Or there'll be those that'll come alongside and say, well, you know, if you look at the, the original Hebrew or you look at the New Testament, the original Greek, you know, what those words mean, it doesn't really mean the same thing that we apply to today. And so, you know, and, and they try to kind of do some exegetical gymnastics here in trying to uh, justify these kinds of lifestyles and actions. And yet God says it very clearly for us here. He says what he means and he means what he says. This is simply a corruption of how God created us as male, female image bearers of God. Now, when we move into the New Testament, we see the trend has not just continued on, but you can see it perpetuating even more so and becoming even more depraved. And, and scriptures are not even um, fully clear on the gravity of this when you look at history and you see some of the things that were being done in, in history. You go, my goodness, this was a, a downward spiral that just continued on. But when we look at Romans chapter one, we see very clearly the things that were continuing to happen even in Paul's days. As, as Paul writes in Romans chapter one, if you wanna jump over there, we're gonna pick it up in verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, 
undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a lot to take in right there. But what Paul is communicating is that there are those that knew the truth but suppressed the truth and said, I don't want to go that way. I want to continue to do what feels right for me. And God gave them over to a debased mind where they continue to do those things which are not fitting, it says. John MacArthur said this, we're so far gone that we are living out Romans 1 where God gave them up to sexual immorality, God gave them up to homosexuality, and then God gave them up to a reprobate mind. So he says you'll know when that judgment is in place because you'll see a sexual revolution followed by a homosexual revolution followed by insanity. And my friends, I think it's pretty obvious to say we're living in insane days. He's coming soon. He is. We're having to create a plethora of pronouns so as to not offend somebody by how we refer to them. Z, Zem, Zer. I can't even keep up with it all, but we've got all this insanity happening. People, oh my goodness, just, you know, I don't know. Follow the, the libs of TikTok uh, Instagram account, you'll see, or Twitter account, you'll see quite clearly the, sadly, the insanity that's, that's happening from a, a world that's been fed a lie who have not seen the value of what God has revealed to them and how God wants to bless them. We have parents not wanting to give their children an assigned gender at birth so their kids can grow up to determine how they want to live as a boy or a girl. Teachers have coached students into rethinking their gender and in some cases have given up puberty blockers without parents' permission. We're living in a bizarro world. We're just allowing all things and sadly allowing people to continue on in a, in a way, in a lifestyle that cannot bring about happiness or contentment and yet we keep pushing it upon people and, and a lot of it doesn't make sense where it says they've been given over to things in Romans 1.20, given over to things that are not fitting we see a lot of things just don't fit that way when we try to go our own way. I love what the Babylon Bee has put out tonight. And again, I mentioned these guys last week and they're just a satirical site. They're just kind of having fun. But they put up one article saying, Christian plumber under fire for refusing to join same-sex fittings. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. And yet we keep saying, no, no, you do whatever you feel is right. One more. Lego unveils new genderless bricks with no male-female connectors. <coughs> Have fun with that, little Bobby. <coughs> they still, though, when left on the floor, will kill you if you step on them. Um, but you see, sadly... It's the, the children that become the target and the casualty of such worldly ideology. 
And what I believe we're going to be seeing is a widespread psychological and physiological nightmare by those that were promised happiness and contentment by altering their sex to match what they believe their gender to be. And sadly, we've already heard so many reports from people that were promised this, told that if you do this, this is gonna change everything and help you, and yet have done it, had a sex change operation, transitioned, and have not felt any peace over it. In fact, have felt even more depressed, discouraged, and regretted the decision. God has shown us his way, which promises life and joy. The world wants you to think that you need to be you and discover who you really are and that you can be with whomever you want to be with for your happiness. That's what the world wants you to think. But remember, there's a very real enemy at work. And he promises the world, but can deliver on none of it. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He will tell you what you want to hear. Let's not go there right now. That was... Stay focused, that was last week. Let's stay the course here. So, he's a father of lies and he will tell you what, you know, you, you want to hear. And he'll tell you it's all going to be better. And yet, there's no peace, there's no life. People are being robbed from the blessing that God has for them. How about we let the one who created us be the one that defines us? That's what we need. So we've seen God's design. We've seen man's distortion. Lastly, let's look at our distinction. Now, in this day, and by our, I mean the church. I mean believers in general. How we're to be distinct in living in this world today. Because in this day that we live, we need to remember that people are lost. People are far from God. People more and more have no concept of God or what his word even says. Some not even seeing a Bible. It's inconceivable to think just, you know, 20, 30 years ago that we'd be where we are because you go back 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was pretty much every household had some kind of concept of God, some kind of background or, or, or spiritual heritage in their home. And yet now you can talk to children that have never set foot in church, they've never even heard of Jesus Christ. They've never seen a Bible. We're living in such a post-Christian age that we have to rethink how we, how we kind of do things, but it doesn't change the message that we give because God's word is never changing. And we wanna hold to what God says in his word. And people need to hear that because that's where our, our life comes from that's where our, our hope is grounded in it's up to us you see to share jesus with people that don't know him our role is not to condemn people for their sin our role is to show them there's a deliverer for their sin that there's a god who loves them that there is a savior that died on a cross to spare them of the harm and the hurt that lifestyles apart from God's way is going to bring into their lives that there's a savior that has come to set them free we need to be those that are upholding the truth of God's word many will get angry at that 
Many won't want to hear it. But we have to recognize we can love the person without affirming that sin. Some will say, oh, no, no, no. If you can't accept me for the decisions I've made, then you can't really love me. Don't let them bully you in. Don't let them force you in this label of being a, a racist or a bigot. Stand in, in, in God's truth, but do so lovingly. Because as John 8, 32 says, it's the truth that will make them free. We care for people's souls. And the Bible is clear of those that will not spend eternity with Jesus. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a partial list. You'll see other lists in Scripture. And a lot of those lists center around the sexual immorality of people. And God makes it very clear to us. Not if you're struggling in that lifestyle, not if you have thoughts about those things, the issue is are you practicing those things as Romans chapter one revealed to us at the end of that chapter. It's supposed to practice those things. Are you, living, are you condoning that, that kind of lifestyle, those actions? If there's anyone we know that's living a life that's found on that list, it would be very unloving to not warn them and tell them that certain lifestyles is gonna rob them from eternal life. It'd be very unloving for us to not heed the warning to say, here's what God has laid out for us. Now here's the deal, is that we're all guilty of sin. None of us were righteous. We all needed the saving grace of God and the Lord in his mercy by faith in Jesus has justified us and made us new. Look at what that verse goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Every one of us can say, this is where I was. And where I once was before Jesus was in a place where I was lost, separated from God, and I was in trouble. And I needed help, I needed saving. Every single one of us have that testimony to say, this is where I was. And such were some of you, but, we love the buts in the Bible, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified not by your good works, by your loving heart. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God who has transformed us and made us new. We all needed conversion, every single one of us. We've been converted out of darkness and into light. We've been converted from death into life. The government would love to say, those of you that are trying to convert others from one lifestyle to another, need to be imprisoned. Well, we simply say, we all needed conversion because we were going one way that was leading to death. But praise the Lord for his conversion by which he's brought us into his marvelous light. 
and has saved us with an eternal hope now in and through Jesus Christ. People need to hear that. We need to set the example and reveal a life now that's been changed. That's the distinction we're to make in our world now. Not, not just a change from sexual immorality or gender dysphoria or whatever the category might be, but we've been changed from a life of sin, period. All of us who are in Christ have experienced that great conversion that Jesus has made available to us and is made available now to all. So I pray, and this is my encouragement for us, and worship team, you guys can come and get yourselves ready to lead us in a song at the end here, but we are living in just crazy times. The Bible refers to those times in days of judges that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's kind of what we're living out now again today. And to question somebody's choices is to just be, in their mind, judging towards them, unloving towards them. But we know God has a perfect design for us. He's made us male and female. And that's it. And God wants nothing but your best. But it's got to be done under his way. And his way is not a hard way. It's a blessed way. It's the way of, of life and peace and joy and contentment. So I pray that we would be a welcoming and loving church to all who come. Listen, we don't have to focus on or judge people's sins the minute they walk in the door here. We don't have to look at them and say, oh, are you one of them? We don't have to do that. We get to welcome and love people and point people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that makes a difference. Jesus is the one that brings transformation and change. Just because we welcome them and love them doesn't mean we are affirming or, or condoning a life of sin. Just as a lot of us right now, I'm sure, struggle with sin. We don't see every Sunday and say, all right, everybody fess up. What sin are you struggling with? Let's come down on you. Let's just ask you what is your problem, what's your deal? No, we just keep wanting to point us to Jesus, who is our Savior and deliverer from these things. Focus on the one who died for sin. And let us be looking again just to that transformational power that comes through new life in Christ and an identity that is rooted in Jesus. Let's be encouraging to people, but let's be sure that we're a church that will not waver or compromise on standing on the truth of what God has shown us, what God has revealed to us, because we know this is where life is, life now and life eternal. So if you are watching online or you're here today and you don't know that life in Christ, and maybe some of you are going, now I'm too far gone because I've just done too much and I don't think God can accept me now. I just want you to know, Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for your sin because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. So Jesus died on a cross. His blood was shed, his body broken to pay the penalty for your sin. And he rose again, securing life for us. That forgiveness and salvation and newness of life is that which we can experience now through faith in Christ. And this is a free gift that's been given to all. He's done all the work. 
and he's allowed us to receive that by his grace, getting what we don't deserve. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't do anything to achieve this in and of yourself. It's simply through faith in Jesus. He's done it all. And he accepts all that come to him and call out to him. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too far out of reach of the grace and the love of God. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're feeling like, man, the life I've been living, I just don't know any other way. God has a better way for you. Turn to him. Receive the life he gave you and that he will transform in you to make you a new creation in him. Call out to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. There's no better way than you'll find than life in Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this time to look at these important issues. And just to see again, be reminded of what your word says. You've laid it all out so clearly for us, God. And yet the world has so far gone away from the foundation of scripture. And yet, Lord, we never want to back down. We never want to turn away. We never want to give in. We want to keep being a church and keep being believers here that stand upon the truth and the authority of Scripture because we know it's the only way by which we're going to have that abundant, blessed life. And I pray that you'll continue in these days that we live to draw many to you, Lord, that we'll see people from all lifestyles coming in through these doors or meeting us on the streets to where we have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that he offers us. Lord, may we see great things happen in these days that we live, that we won't back down, we won't be discouraged, but we'll continue on with boldness and strength in you, God, to stand for you and stand for your word now. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's stand and let's close with a song here.